from Migration Media, this is Migratory Patterns. I'm your host, Mike Shaw. Gabriel Clermont has a deep affinity for his hometown of New York, yet he feels it was kind of inevitable that he made the leap to living overseas, trading one global media hub for another. Each of his parents has an extraordinary migration story of their own, and he didn't want to be the least adventurous person in his family. As familiar as living in a global hub is to him, when he arrived in Beijing, he encountered a new kind of diversity, and unlike in New York, things weren't tailored specifically for your tribe or niche. You need to find a way to fit into the systems and communities that are here, or you create one of your own. And while the very act of being able to move abroad shows how much agency one has, it doesn't mean that the path isn't riddled with obstacles, such as the year one, year three, and year five hurdles that weed out many an adventurer. And how might these challenges differ for folks who go abroad at a different stage of life? Is it easier for kids to make the leap overseas straight out of college, or is it better to wait until you've had a chance to go through some of your formative young adult experiences within your home culture before doing so? Gabe and I had a really long, incredibly stimulating conversation. We went so long, in fact, that I've had to split this episode into two parts. This week we'll cover his migration story and the initial challenges that he and many other migrants face. Next week we'll get into, well, a whole lot more. So sit back, relax, and enjoy my conversation with Gabriel Clermont. Gabriel Clermont? Yes. Welcome to Migratory Patterns. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Where is home? Huh. This question is funny because you told me you were going to ask it days ago, and I'm still kind of like, oh, it's a tough one. Or rather, it's not tough. It's just it's, it evokes complicated feelings. I am from New York City. New York City is home. My family's there. My friends are there. I'm lucky to be from a place that people go to. So I went to college in Boston after I graduated. That's, um, that's a complicated thing right there. Talk <laughs> about cross-cultural stuff that. Woo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, so growing up, I, I, I grew up in between New York and Boston. Um, so I went to, Middle school and the beginning of high school in Newton and then in Boston itself. And then moved back to the New York City area for high school, college in Boston. A lot of my friends from college moved to New York City. My friends growing up stayed there. So have a very strong friend network in that area. Your, your, your gravity is in, your center of gravity is New York. Yeah. My center of gravity is in New York and I think well, what's funny to me about that question of where is home is that it's a. I'm almost jealous of the people who like don't know. Like I can't imagine what that's like to just kind of be like, ah, oh, the whole world is my home, or like people who come from small towns and they can't wait to get out, and then kind of have this choice. Like I almost feel like I part of why I'm in Beijing is because there's this almost like inevitability of going back to New York and being there forever. So part of why I moved here was to not just be stuck in that lane kind of for the rest of my life. And I've enjoyed all my friends who have stayed there, who have talked a really big game about they're going to move to the West Coast and they're going to... I had a friend who was very seriously looking into living in Seattle and finding driftwood to make reclaimed wood furniture and it was a whole <laughs> a whole thing that never never happened and he's that still... is super hipster man yeah that oh yeah, yeah, yeah super hipster it's, i mean <laughs> we're all like downtown city kids um and it just 
but no, no one's no one's left. Like it's like impossible to leave. Um, so I've enjoyed my both my parents moved to New York City from somewhere else, and I always and like had moved around a lot in their lives, and I always respected them for not feeling bound to one place and being adventurous. And my father moved to the States when he was 11. So, you know, had a whole world shift. My mother, when she was in high school, more or less dropped out of high school and moved to Africa for for two or three years. And that kind of spirit, I felt like I didn't want to be the least adventurous person in my family. (laughs) So I... You literally have the exact opposite story of me. Like, my family is all in Boston, and they have been there for seven generations, and I'm the one who went out into the world. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I can't do this stay-in-one-place thing. Right. I mean, I couldn't do the stay-in-one-place thing because, like, no one else had done it. And I was like, well, I don't want to be the only one who's just, like, the provincial person in the family. So I, um, yeah, came to Beijing in, for the first time in 2010. After graduating, but she so came straight here after after college. Yeah, as soon as I graduated, um, I had a friend in university who I, I majored in film. My background's in film. A friend I was doing film stuff with who had also done Chinese stuff, and he he studied abroad here, and he was dead set. He was like, as soon as I graduate, I think the day after graduation, he got on a flight and moved to Beijing, and it was like, you really got to come check it out. Got to go check it out. I had no knowledge of China before. I had no background in it. No interest in it. Um, and just kind of figured, well, it's an opportunity to be somewhere I know nothing about. That also seems like an important place in the world to know and to have, you know, experience with. So I came out yeah, July 2010. And I remember I landed on a Monday. And that Friday, I was in a meeting to shoot a commercial for Under Armour. <laughs> Which I then filmed the next Monday, and I was like, "This place is crazy." And I, yeah, well, that that's that, that's the greatest thing. I always talk about the 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 smallness of the community here, and I'm mm-hmm. sure this is true in other cities where the 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 migrant community, the expat community, the foreigner community is so concentrated and small. Everyone mm-hmm. knows everyone, or you're no more than a degree separated from them. Yeah, and it's easy to find. You find yourself interacting with what. I just got out of film school and I'm working for Under Armour. Right. Like what? Like that would never mm-hmm. happen in New York. No. Never. And one thing actually I really so this is my third time living in Beijing. And so when I came out here, I planned on coming out for a few months originally, stayed for a year, and was working doing freelance film stuff and recognized that especially at that time, I mean there's stuff I didn't know about filmmaking, and also I recognized that I was probably not going to learn it working here. So I moved back, um, went back to New York City, worked on a few films there, and was able to like get, get some kind of professional experience, get a professional scope of what, how things are supposed to look like and how things are supposed to be done. But one thing I really missed was that living here, I had, I interacted with people who were diverse in ways that I didn't interact with in New York City. In that in New York City, I felt like when we went out, like everything is almost exactly custom tailored to you. And you go to a place and the people who you're around look exactly like you and make the exact same amount of money as you or are the same age. And 
have the same taste and it's great, I guess. And, you know, it's nice and it's easy. You kind of feel like you have this tribe, but I, I enjoyed here, you know, having friends who were dads. I don't have any dad friends in New York City, but here I have, you know, friends who live in Shuni who have kids my age. I'm not friends with the kids. I'm friends with the dads. Trailing spouses or just people from countries. I, I even in New York, like you just don't necessarily interact with you don't just find in the same spaces as you the same way. I It's so interesting you bring that up because one of the things that I've thought about a lot and I thought about it more since I got into this whole podcasting thing in migration media is this this idea of when you become part of the migrant community, when you're overseas, there is such a difference. And it's just like you described. I remember when I went home back to Boston after I'd been overseas for a year, I'm pretty sure this was my first trip back. A buddy of mine brought us out, you know, myself and, uh, you know, one of my, there's like a group of us who are really good friends, really mm-hmm. close through college and, and right after college. And he, we kind of went out in this small little group together and we went to what was at that time the hottest, most stylish, uh, you know, hip bar slash hotel, you know, mm-hmm. in the city of Boston. And it's actually a pretty cool building and it's an old renovated I, I don't want to call it out, but I remember going there and just laughing. <laughs> and and I remember feeling before I moved to China, I was very it was kind of like you said, like I had the places I went to that were kind of built for me. Mm-hmm. And I went to those places. Like the, I was very provincial Bostonian. Mm-hmm. I went to the same, you know, one or two bars all the time. I had the same kind of people I hung out with. It was the same crowd. And it felt like there was a niche for me. There, Like it felt like the city was mine, right? right? Mm-hmm. And then I come to Beijing and like you said, you interact with people from every socioeconomic strata, mm-hmm. every profession, every walk of life, yeah. every – you know, it's – every geographical diversity is just crazy. And then to go back to Boston and go to this bar and this club, which is really nice. It, like, it was out of a movie. They had this fashion show going on that night. And I was just like, this is so stupid. Like, it, it's, <laughs> like I couldn't believe – like I would have been intimidated by this like a year right, ago. Right, right. Like I never would have come here a year ago and now I feel like this is beneath me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and people are – Annoyed that you're not impressed by it. Oh my god, it was so annoying. He, I, he was so annoyed by me. He, I, I laughed. And he's like, "You can't, can't compare." And he got so pissed off. I couldn't help laughing. Mm-hmm. I wasn't laughing at it so much as myself. Like I was right, kind of right. recognizing that what was happening in my brain, and it was just, I was just laughing is the only reaction I could muster. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I didn't know how to express this feeling. And it's so funny you you mentioned that. I, I from that point on, I talked about one of the reasons I could. I can't think of myself living back in my hometown mm-hmm. is there's this stratification of society mm-hmm. and it's not, I mean, you could say segregation, which is real, but you could mm-hmm. also just talk about people naturally filtering themselves so that they're going to the places and interacting with the people that are most like them. Mm-hmm. You know, in America, they call it the great sorting, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but that's not possible overseas. Right. You, you can't do it or you don't survive. Right. And I think, I mean, we were talking before the podcast about how I think to some degree Beijing is becoming more like that. It's becoming, it's, it's starting to kind of shake itself out and sift people into their particular channels. But especially 2010 or before, if you were here earlier, it really just felt like you could be in any place and see anyone 
Because it's funny, also, when I would go back to New York, people who I had known here when I was back in New York, like it, like the, it almost didn't make sense to be friends anymore. Like where I would be and where they would be would just be two different places. We had like two, two different maps of the city that we were operating in. Whereas I really enjoyed here, you could go anywhere and you could talk to someone who you had no shared background with, nothing in common, but like you could just talk as people about things. Well, you do have something in common here. You're having that experience of yeah. living in a place that's not your place of origin and sure. navigating all the same problems, all the same issues. Mm-hmm. I, I think of it as kind of a great leveler. Mm-hmm. You know, no matter where you're from, no matter where your background is, no matter how rich you are, poor you are, doesn't matter. If yeah. you are making the choice to go live in another country, another culture that is different from your own, mm-hmm. you have more in common or just you, you have so much in common with this, the people who are also doing that thing. Right. And you are just going to naturally be able to relate to each other. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Okay. I think there's also a degree to which because for us as Westerners – Beijing still is a cheap place to live. Yeah, you can you can live cheap here. It's can, always it's always in those lists of expensive places, places to live. Yeah, but, you can live expensive here if you want. Oh, yes, um, but you can you can have meals on the street for a couple of bucks. Right, you can yeah. you could totally survive. And I feel like what I find is that then money doesn't separate people the same way it does in. Other cities. You mean among the, among the expat community or the foreigner community? Yes. Yes. So, I, yeah. like, I mean, you talk about being a great level, but it's like there's a, like, class to some degree gets stripped away because you can kind of, if you have shared interest, you can find places. I mean, I just think I, I have a lot of friends who are in music and you would have CEOs of companies and you would have English teachers who are on sketchy tourist visas hanging out at, you know, a, a Grateful Dead cover band show. And it's like, we just like this music. We're going to be here and talk. And there was never any kind of, everyone could afford 15 Kwai beers. So it was, there was never any of that tension. And everyone was drinking 15 Kwai beers. Right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> no matter who you are, you're drinking 15 Kwai beers. And I was talking to someone about this recently. It's like the, I guess that's part of the expat experience, no matter where you are. And it makes me wonder how much I enjoy living in Beijing versus how much I enjoy being an expat. Yeah. Um, I've had to be thinking about this, too, because my wife is kind of exploring her next opportunity in her career. And mm -hmm. we don't know if it'll be in Beijing. It mm -hmm. might be. It might not be. It's all up in the air. You know, she's open to whatever. But I've had to kind of think of that myself, like. I'm confident that no matter where we go, like, I know how to do this. I know how to live overseas. I understand. Sure. How, I learned the lessons here. I know it's going to be different. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, there's kind of that thought process is like, oh, when I get somewhere else, am I going to enjoy the living overseas part of it as much as I enjoyed it here? Mm -hmm. Or it, like how much of my enjoying of being a foreigner, a, a migrant, right. is the fact that I live in Beijing or mm -hmm. is it that I'm a migrant? Right. Yeah. And I mean, have you lived in other cities? No, I've been yeah. in, I, I've lived, I, I moved out of my mother's place uh, at 22, moved to Beijing <laughs> at 32, and I've been here for over 10 years now. I've been, I've been in Beijing for longer than I moved out of my mom's place. 
I've never I, I've I've kind of put down roots wherever I go. Like uh-huh. I don't know what it's going to be like the next phase. If if we bounce around between different postings for her for years, it's going to be a complete change from the way my life has been so far. Right, right. Yeah. Because also I think there's a degree when you've been in Beijing for a long time that you know it becomes if not home, kind of homeish, and you you know it and you're comfortable here and you feel like you have kind of you can get things done here. You have kind of an agency here. It is so funny you say that because just last night I was, or just yesterday evening and last night, both my wife and I were having tro- problems dealing with stuff in America, like bank mm. and financial stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, just you got to get on the phone. You're calling long distance. You just can't get things done. It's so, and, and all you can think about, like we just want to pay for, we're, you know, we're going to go on a holiday. Right. And we just want to pay for something and we've got to negotiate with the bank in the U.S. to be able to pay for the thing. Whereas if we're in China, we literally scan a QR code and it's done. It's done. Yeah. It's, it's so asinine that, mm-hmm. that I have more problems living my life if I try to do something that's coming out of or going through or based in America than if I'm in China. It's, it's really kind of crazy. And I wonder what it's like to lose that quote unquote power. I mean, like, I'm always fascinated when I go to other cities and I meet other cities in outside of America and I meet expats who live there who really, I mean, you go to like Seoul, right? I mean, not to be name dropping, <laughs> but it's what we do. It's our yeah. life. We, you've got to make a visa run. Seoul is fast. Oh, it's really convenient. Yeah. Uh, everything works. Um, but you go and the expat class there, first of all, they have no, they're not in Korea because they love being in Korea for the most part. They're there for work. They're there because of their – they're associated with the military in some way. So, like, they're not really invested in the place. And they, like, really just live, it feels like, separate from this, the country. Yeah, I call it the expat bubble. There yeah. are cohorts here that do that. Right. But, but for the most part, people tend to not live in the bubbles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right, yeah, I mean – could you imagine though? Yeah. <laughs> Could you yeah. like, like it just seems so. It seems weird. It's a different yeah. way to live. It, it's so, so uh, ugh, empty. I don't know. Yeah. So I want to, I want to, this is, this is great. I want to back up just a little bit because you mentioned something that I didn't know about you and I actually don't know you very well. Okay. You mentioned, uh, your father came to America mm-hmm. and that your mother left America for a while. Mm-hmm. So you've kind of got migration in your in your blood, so to speak. Yeah. Where is your dad from? My dad's from Haiti. Your dad's from Haiti. So where where did your mom go? So my mom uh, is from small town New Jersey and she moved to Kenya when she she just kind of was tired of her life. Sure. You know, when as people become, when you're, and she just kind of told her parents, like, I'm I, 17, I'll show you. Yeah. And, <laughs> and I mean, my grandparents were very cool and said, this is what you want to do. I mean, I think they were smart and that they recognized that it's the kind of thing where you, you have to support the person doing it. Right. Cause they're going to do it anyway. They're going to do it anyway. Yeah. And like, it's better to kind of maintain a relationship and be, be there and present in the person's life as opposed to, you know, kicking them out or something like that. Yeah, it, it didn't – I think I said two, three years. It wasn't that long. I think it was like maybe just a year. Like it didn't really – it didn't stick. Um, <laughs> and then she came back and finished high school and went to college and just like – That's pretty cool though. Yeah. I mean so yeah. So my father's family, his mother is one of seven sisters. Ooh. And they all moved to America 
like the oldest one moved, and then she paid for the next one to move, paid for the next one to move. Oh, and chain migration. It was full, yeah, it was chain, chain total mi- full-on chain yeah, migration. Yeah, yeah. We're the, we're the, we're, You're the poster children. <laughs> You're why they hate us. Yeah, we're, <laughs> we're like the future the Democrats want. It's exactly. Like, it's just people from shithole countries coming over oh, one by one. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> and so, like, that was always something that was very – that story was always very present in my mind. And like that, I, I have family who worked very hard to be where they were in the world. Of course. And it was a very considered and thought out thing. And then on my mom's side, her, her father, he, he's one of 14 and his brothers and sisters just at a time when like they're African American, a time when black people were not I mean, not allowed to really move freely. They were, a few of them lived in Europe and in Asia, spread out throughout the country. Like, it was just kind of, I don't want to say expected, but it was like the the horizons were always kind of that wide for me. It's th- There are possibilities. Right. We and don't have to be in this place. We can go other we can places. Go, you can go other places. And that's not weird or like, almost like it's not even that experimental yeah. like it's just kind of like this is a thing that you can do if you want to do it actually my vocabulary is failing me i don't know the i don't know what the opposite of provincial is but that's what it is <laughs> globalist <laughs> globalist <laughs> maybe that's got so much kind of so yeah, many connotations no. <laughs> cut that yeah um, <laughs> um but no i mean so I, I i grew up kind of understanding i mean actually when i think back like i remember as a kid and as a high schooler having you know, kind of this idea is like, I don't have to stay here and I can go have a career anywhere. And it's funny because I, I still feel that way and I still look out at the world and think about like, where could my next place be? But also, I know you've talked about this in the podcast before, but like, there is a guilt still that I didn't know that I would have, but that I feel really acutely for like, not being around my loved ones and like losing time with them. And that I think is, especially because these motherfuckers won't leave New York. Like if they all like spread out to other places, I'd be like, ha, it's fine. We're just, we're all just spread throughout the world and like we'll see each other when we can, but that's not happening. And it, it makes me really like, that is the biggest draw for me just to be back and to be amongst them and to, as people enter relationships and start new jobs, I had a college friend have a health scare recently and it's like kind of being here and like he was in the hospital and like my mom kind of went on my behalf. But like that. That's the hard part. Yeah. 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 You can, you, social media will keep you connected. It gives you, mm-hmm. what, you know, the peripheral awareness, but when shit happens, you're yeah. not there. I almost find it worse. Like I'm in a, like I have a WhatsApp group with all my friends from college and because they can't get them on WeChat, huh? <laughs> no, that's not <laughs> happening. Um, they, I mean, also because a lot of them are immigrants themselves to the U.S. or migrants, like their families are on WhatsApp and like it's a platform they know. But being able to like just kind of see what's going on all the time, but not actually being able to interact with it feels. Like, I almost wish it was the 1800s and I got, like, a letter once a month. And just and then other than that, I could just live my life here. 
Yeah, I feel I feel like I feel like social media makes it really easy, and I, I you know, like you said, we've talked about this in the podcast before, is that technology makes it easier. It lowers the barrier to taking that first step, mm-hmm. but all it does is kind of delay the difficulties of separation till later. Like right. you, you can you can stay connected, you can stay in close contact, you can get off the plane, whip out your phone, and do a Skype call or FaceTime. Mm-hmm. In real, you know, immediately sure. with anyone you want for free, but you are still not there. And there, I don't know if this has been studied at all. This is what we got to figure mm-hmm. out. But I always talk about, or I should say, I was told when I mm-hmm. first came here or after I'd been here about a year, I was sat down by a guy who'd been here. I think he'd been living in Beijing. So this is about 2009. He said he'd been here for about 15 years and he'd been living here off and on since, you know, before Tiananmen, Mm -hmm. before the nothing that happened here happened. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) And he he told me, he said, there are three stages. First year, you're going to take your first trip home Mm -hmm. and you're going to see that life has moved on without you. Babies will have been born. People will have gotten married or stuff will have happened. Big life events will have Mm -hmm. happened and you are not there for that. Mm -hmm. And that when you go home for that first visit, it will hit you in the face. And- a lot of people can't handle that. That's what, that's the first kind of great weeding out. Those mm-hmm. people, they quit. The second great sorting uh, or, or the great filtering happens after year three hmm. because you get to this point where you de-romanticize where you're at. You've mm-hmm. learned enough of the language. You've figured out enough of life here, how to get through, and you realize, oh, this isn't just all sunshine and rainbows and excitement. This is real life. Like this is my, I go to job. I have a job. I have nine to five job or mm-hmm. I have whatever job. And there are still idiots. <laughs> People drive horribly. You yeah. know, People make stupid mistakes. There are morons who do things in the street that are just, just like home. Mm-hmm. And there are people who then they will either go home or move somewhere else. Because what happens is th- those people who can't make it after that realization, mm-hmm. those are the ones who they're either running from something mm-hmm. or they are looking for thrills. Mm-hmm. You know, once you get past that barrier, the deromanticization, mm-hmm. then you're then you're a potential long-termer. And then the final hurdle. I was going to say, I really enjoy this conversation as a way of like shitting on people I know who left. Oh, like, yeah. Thrill-seeking motherfucker. <laughs> Couldn't deal. And then, the, oh. and then the last one, which, which he didn't give to me, but I kind mm-hmm. of figured out through a, another a guy that I know who – is very smart guy. I'm hoping to get him on the podcast. He talks about what I call the Lawai ceiling. And mm-hmm. this is your professional life. So mm-hmm. if you're working for a Chinese company here, there is a certain limit that you're going to – there's a certain level that you're going to be able to go as a foreigner and that's mm-hmm. it. That you just will not be hired to beyond a certain level. Usually it's middle management mm-hmm. in a Chinese company. They just won't do it. There's just – there's a cultural clash. There's a lack of trust. There's right. a certain amount of things that you just cannot interface with at a high level because mm-hmm. you're a foreigner. And those people will either leave – or they're going to find their own niche, either within that company where they can kind of create a little space. They convince the company that this is what you need and you don't have anyone else can do it but me. So make put me in charge of it. Mm-hmm. So you, you won't get the status. You know, you won't mm-hmm. get the promotion bump, but you're able to get some autonomy and create a new thing. Yeah. Or you start your own business. 
Mm. You know, or you start a family or something. So, mm-hmm. like, those are what I what I think of as like the three stages. And if you can kind of make it through those, mm-hmm. you know, th- those are your different kind of migrant. I have I have so many thoughts. Um, <laughs> well, one of the things I think is really interesting is that, and I'm curious what your experience is with other people you talk to, but like, we all we all see the experience through the lens of <laughs> coming here right after college. And when you're like, we're both having the migrant experience and the young adult experience at the same time. You did. I did. Yeah, I did. And but that that's also a fair, like a lot of people who come here, I'd be interesting to know if we get breakdowns when the next Chinese census comes. But mm-hmm. that is true. There's a fair amount of people who, when they go overseas, they might be doing it as, as like a professional thing right after college or a gap year thing or right, whatever. Right, right. So kind of, now's my chance to do something. Yeah. And I wonder how much of like, we talk about these these moments that we miss, how much of that is tied to the age that you are when you come, and how much of that is also tied to, like, like one thing I think about often is the fact that, like, right, I've been here more or less five years, and when I think about it, I'm like, oh, I've been here forever. I've missed <laughs> so many things and all these important milestones, and, like, I'm such, like, a, like, I've like betrayed my people so gravely <laughs> by, and first of all, you've like, reached that point. You've reached that level. Like, <laughs> are, are, are you going to go back now? Or are you going to stay out? That's well, the thing, thing. Is, it's funny because like one, like I'm probably like not that important. Like <laughs> they, they're like, oh yeah, game has been gone. Like it's been five years. Oh yeah. Um, but also if you think about like how long your life will actually be, five years is like really for the reward that you get from it, especially Five years is like a small period of my time. And when I think about the time that I will have with these friends going forward, you know, like we have so much time left to hang out and interact with each other and go through things. So I think that part of it is just like being young. Like, I wonder if you come here at 50 and someone's like, you have to to come at 50 and stay for five years and you're just like, okay. You know, like that is interesting. Yeah, you've already kind of like it, just the you, just the time has shifted, and you don't you wouldn't see it. It wouldn't occupy in like the your early twenties is like we have this kind of it's it has such a powerful weight to it. It's and, a, you know that that's an interesting way to think about it because I've I've spoken to people who are older. Actually, mm-hmm. I've spoken with the oldest expat in Beijing, oh. uh, this woman named Eleanor. Eleanor Liu, she's 99 years old. Holy shit. Yes. She's been living in Beijing in some fashion since the opening, since Deng opened. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think her first time over here was like in – she was in Taiwan, I think, in 78, 79. Mm -hmm. And then she came over here to the mainland in, I believe, 82. That's crazy. Because, I mean, like if she's 99 now, she was still old. When she came here. She was older, yes. Yeah. And she came over as a teacher. She'd already had a career. Right. Her husband was Chinese. She grew up in the South. And it's a fascinating – I highly recommend anyone listening to it. I, I'll mm-hmm. put a note in the show notes because her story is is quite incredible. Mm-hmm. But her kind of aside, because she's the exception that proves the rule. Mm-hmm. But I have spoken with migrants, foreigners, expats who are older – Mm-hmm. But their time overseas has been longer. Like they have, they're older mm-hmm. now, not old, old, but I mean, mm-hmm. they're in their 40s or as my friend Rich Robertson says, the wrong side of 50. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they've been overseas in some fashion since, like you said, just after college. Right. So 
you know, Rich in his discussion with me, he talked about, you know, I kind of asked him, do people still kind of ask you when you coming home? And he said, well, I've been overseas for 25 years. I've been living in China for, you know, Beijing for like 18 of them. And I, he says, I think my, my aunt just stopped asking me two years ago when you coming, when you coming back. <laughs> you know, like it takes that long. You said, like you said, like, you're not very important. I'm not very important. It's yes and no. I mean, right. you're not important because you are just one small drop in the ocean, but mm-hmm. to your family and your friends, you are. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I still have friends back in Boston who I really want to see every time yeah. that I go back. And it's tough because life goes on. I know there's, there's a certain amount I can't really share with them just because they don't – this is not a knock on them. They're brilliant people, but mm-hmm. they just can't fathom or, or relate to what I'm going through because mm-hmm. it's outside their experience. And to be fair, it's the other way around. Like they're they're raising families. They're going through things that I'm not going through. Right. And, you know, it's outside my experience. So there is a gulf. There's a fundamental connection you have with people. Mm-hmm. But then there's a gulf. And like you said earlier, there's that separation and you kind of have that guilt. And when can you get through that point? And do you see yourself as being someone who is someone who's going to live overseas? Or are you someone who is like, I got to get back there? Well, there you have it. My first ever cliffhanger. I hope you're just as into this conversation as I was when we were having it. I had a really great time with Gabe, and I cannot wait to share part two with you next week. As always, if you have any questions or comments about this episode, if you have any topics or interview suggestions, please reach out. You can find me on email at mike.shaw at migrationmedia.net. I'm also on Twitter at ZAX2000. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again next week.